Isn't that a great song? I've been singing it all week. I wake up and I sing it and I go to bed and I sing it. Just been walking around the house singing it. And uh, <clears throat> Thursday, Thursdays I put everything on the computer and get the slides where they need to be and get the songs and all of that stuff where it needs to be. And and I just I just turned off all the lights and, and I, I played it several times and I sat in different places out there where you guys sit. And I just just sang that song and I just worshiped the Lord with nobody here but me and God. And um, this morning, about 7.15 or so, I was here early and I just thought, you know, I need to do that again. So I turned the lights off. I came down here on the front row and I just played the song and I just worshiped. And then I got on my knees and I said, God, that's my prayer. Not that people would know I'm smart. Not that people would think I know the Bible. Not that people, that, that they would see that, that my heart is after yours. That's the goal of Christianity is, is to reflect the heart of Jesus Christ. And so... Um, we're in this, this new series called Freeway, and, and it's called A Not-So-Perfect Guide to Freedom. And uh, we, last week, we looked at step one. Step one is awareness. And, and we said, you've got to slow down. And, and I've been making a conscious effort in my life to slow down and try to hear God because you can't hear him if you're moving too fast. It drowns out God's voice, and you ignore things that God wants you to look at in your life. And so awareness is step one. Step two is discovery. And that's what we're going to look at today. I forgot to put this little thing on here so you won't hear all of my T's and P's so loudly. There we go. Um, step two is discovery. And, and what you're going to discover, if you'll slow down and let God speak to you and learn to hear his voice, discern his voice over all the noise of the world, if you'll learn to discern his voice, God's going to teach you something. And here's what he's going to teach you. He's going to teach you that you're stronger than you think you are. And it has nothing to do with you. The strength comes from a supernatural power. Most, most of the time we say, I'm not strong enough to do that. And, and that's exactly where God wants you to be. When you say, I can't do it on my own. And God says, that's right. I want you to depend on me. And I'm going to show you that the God of angel armies, if you're a Christ follower, the God of angel armies is your dad. And your dad wants to equip you to look at things in your past, your hurt, your pain, stuff that you have, have ignored or, or you've just put to the side and you've gotten so busy that you're trying to deaden the pain. God wants to bring some of that stuff to the surface. And some of you are like, I don't want that stuff to come to the surface. You're never going to be the person that God wants you to be until you deal with stuff from your past. And then here's the really cool thing. Not only is God going to give you the strength to overcome that, if you will let him, God's going to give you a connection point with somebody else who's right in the middle of it. Because this is totally from Scripture. 1 Corinthians says that, that the God of all comfort comforts us in all our affliction so that we may comfort others in their affliction with the same comfort that we have received from God. God comforts you not for you. Yes, he loves you as, a, as his child. He loves you, but the comfort is never just for you. The comfort is so that you can turn around and find somebody else going through the same thing and you can say to them, I know how you feel. Because if you're going through tough, th tough times, isn't it awesome when somebody comes along and they can say, I've been exactly where you are, right? Yes? Yeah. And so if you will allow God those things that in your past that you think that you're embarrassed to share, this happened in our group the last two weeks. Somebody shares, and, and instead of being repelled, I'm going to tell you this till you believe it, instead of being repelled, the group was drawn together. And, and I don't look down on somebody who shares their pain from their past. I, I become closer to them, and I want to be a friend and be a family member that encourages and walks with them through stuff. That's what the church is supposed to be. That's what Jesus died for, is to have a church that functions properly. And part of that is being gut-level honest at times, and then those, those who are 
supposed to be in groups with us that are friends, when you cannot even lift your arms up yourself, you got friends that'll come and, and get under each arm and lift, oh, that's, that's scriptural. That's, that's what we want to have. Now, in the, in the verses that we're going to look at today, I'm just going to give you a little bit of background. It's the Philistines versus um, the, the Israelites. And you already saw, we're going to talk about David and Goliath. But here, I want you to understand the setting because this is really a big deal. The, the Philistines were from Western Palestine over there by the coast, and they were known for ironworks. And so they would, they would make chariots, they would make armor, they would make spears, they would make swords. Are those things helpful in time of war? Yes, extremely so. And they were known as big, bad Philistines, and you didn't want to mess with them. The Philistines are coming. It was a scary deal. Now, the, the Israelites, God did this on purpose. God chose the Israelites, and they were a peaceful farming nation. They have, they have plows. They have pitchforks and cows. Are those things very helpful in a time of war? No, not typically, all right? So each nation would employ whatever would be best, would, would give them the best chances of winning. So the Israelites, they were from the hill country. Now, have you ever been down around Austin, seen the hill country? They actually have hills down there. We've got, we've got, I don't know what we have here. I'm from the panhandle where we didn't have anything but holes. You don't have hills, you got holes in the ground. But, but the, the Israelites were from a hilly nation and they were called the hill people. And what they would want to do, if you're a farmer or you got pitchforks and plows and stuff like that, you, you want to get people to come up in the woods. Because a pitchfork's much better when you're hiding behind a tree, you know. Big, big, big old Philistine comes riding by on his horse and his chariot, and he can't maneuver very well in the woods. Bring him out to my dear lease. I will kill that sucker. I, I can hide, you know, pitchfork, plow, whatever it is. I can kill him in the, in the hill country. So I'm going to say, come on up here. You want to fight me? Come on up here. Now, now the Philistines, they're not dumb. And so they want to go out in the wide open prairie. Because it says, in the Bible, it says that the Philistines were on one hill and the, the, the Israelites were on the other, and there was a valley in between them. Well, the, the Philistines are like, come on down to the valley. We won't hurt you. We just want to talk. And what do chariots and armor and swords and spears and arrows, what do they do to farming people in the middle with no place to cover? Right? I mean, if you take any concealed handgun stuff, they talk about, if you're in a situation, the first thing you should do is, Get behind something that stops bullets. Then shoot. Right? Israelites, come down. We're friendly. That's not very smart. And so we're at this standoff. The Israelites, come up here. Philistines, no, come down here. And so what would happen, they would have this standstill. And sometimes this was just a, a military strategy. Instead of wasting all this bloodshed, because haven't you ever thought that, that war in the older times was just a dumb thing? Because I don't want to be the dude on the front line. It makes me crazy when I watch like Patriot and those types of movies and they got thousands of dumb guys on the front line walking out there like yeah, and you got one shot. You know, that's a good thing. Then you're just going to stand there. I'm going to block for the guy behind me. You get to do that once and you're done. I just, it frustrates me. So instead of being the dumb guy because nobody was volunteering, who's going to go? Nobody's volunteering because what they do is they'd have a contest. They'd pick their best guy and your best guy. Let's have a fight. The problem was their best guy was Goliath, and he was nine feet nine. This is what the scripture tells us, nine feet nine. Where, where Michael? How tall are you, Michael? Six, six. Stand up. Come here. Come here. Come right here. All right. Michael's six. No, 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 no. I get the stairs. Michael's six, six. This is the only time in history that I'm taller than Michael. 
All right, now, if you, if you take Michael, this is, this is King Saul was about 6668, we're guessing, because the Bible says he was head and, and shoulders taller. I didn't even see you, Brad. I should have called him Brad, too. How tall are you, Brad? Oh, yeah, 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 about the same. But so, King Saul is the one that's supposed to go fight Goliath. Now, stay here for just a second. I want to show you a picture, because my kids grew up on VeggieTales. How many of you know what VeggieTales is? This is, VeggieTales is like... God stuff for kids, and it's awesome. I still remember the songs. I can sing the silly songs with Larry. But my favorite thing was Dave and the Giant Pickle. All right, this is the Giant Pickle, and he's Goliath. And so Goliath comes hopping out, and you see the little French peas down there. They're cool, because they have a French accent, and I can't do it, or I'll do it for you. But he walks out, my favorite thing, Caleb and I used to do this when he was, a, when he was little. He was growing up, because he grew up on all of them. We come out, and, and I come out, and I go, who will fight me? Because that's exactly what he does. Every morning, he hops out, the Giant Pickle hops out, and he's, who will fight me? He looks around. No one will fight. I come back tomorrow. Well, Caleb couldn't say, I come back tomorrow. And to this day, he, he would say, I come back a Mario. And so to this day, I still do that. I come back a Mario. But anyway, so he comes out and hops around and nobody, none of the, none of the Israelites. Now, now, this is how tall Saul was. Head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He's the king. Who should have gone and fought Goliath? Saul. I think, dude, I think he was walking around like this. He had some posture issues because he's like, no, no, I'm, 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 I'm short because I don't want to go fight him. Because, I mean, now, now imagine I'm Goliath, nine foot nine, estimates, he's over 400 pounds. All right, that's two and a half of me, so add all of that, and then I'm up here. Who will fight me? You know, because Michael's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> he's head and shoulders taller than me. If I'm an Israelite, he should go fight Goliath, right? Okay, thanks, buddy. So, Jeff is going, yeah, someone else fight. Michael, go fight. So, they have this contest, and and, and Goliath would come out, and he'd say, if I win, we own you. Your guy wins, you own us. And it avoids all this bloodshed. So, this is going on over and over and over again. And, uh, And everybody's running. Nobody wants to fight him because he's the undisputed undefeated heavyweight champion of the world, at least in their minds. So now, Jesse, Jesse's an important guy because he is the father of eight sons. And three of his sons, Eliab, uh, Shammah, and Abinadab. By the way, I don't think you ever need a baby name book. You just go to scripture, especially the Old Testament. These are great boy names. Eliab, Shammah. I like Shammah because it's Shammah. Shammah. Anyway, Abinadab. Great, great boy names. I don't know why... I chose an Old Testament name, Caleb, so, you know, you can choose a Benadab if you would like to. Now, Jesse is curious because three of his boys are there, and so he, he calls David in. David's a shepherd boy, and he calls him in, and he's a teenager, and he says, hey, I want to know what's going on, so here's some supplies. Go take them to your brothers. Bring me back word because I don't know what's going on. And, and David's like this, this teenager, and he's going, front row at the Goliath show? I am so there. So he takes off, and he goes to the front line, and he, he gives the supplies, and then he's walking around. Well, then here comes the big pickles jumping out there, and he says, who will fight me? And, and all the Israelites run in fear. Nobody's stepping up. And, and David's going, who is this guy? We serve the living God. And so here's a teenager, you know. We serve the living God. And, and David goes, I could take him. And people are going, excuse me, wait. And his older brother hears him, his older brother, Eliab. And he goes, David, my very, very small brother, shuttest thy pie hole. 
Thou shalt not talk smack in my presence. This is a man's world. And you're a boy. Where are the sheep that you're supposed to be taking care of? Get home. Doesn't that sound like an older brother? Right? Yeah. He says, you're not a man. Get lost. Now, here's the cool thing. Did David listen to him? No, David turned and started talking to other people. And King Saul, the dude who should have been fighting, hears about it. And he calls David in. So this shepherd boy comes in and he goes, I could take him. And, and Saul goes, are you nuts? And he goes, well, I killed a lion. I killed a bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. God will deliver him into my hand. And, and King Saul, big, big King Saul goes, okay, here's my armor. Good luck big chicken. I mean, I'm sorry. I would have to go out there and die just so that nobody would call me a chicken for the next 6,000 years. So David, David says, no, I can't take your armor. And, and here's what he said. David said, I can't go as you. The armor's yours, Saul. You, you go as Saul. I'm going to go as David. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be myself. And so he picks up some stones, five stones. He goes out there and he gets about the distance from a pitcher to a catcher away from Goliath. And, and, you know, scientists have kind of calculated some of this stuff. Some people have, have looked at this, and they said that when you're slinging, you know, you've got a sling and you're slinging the stone, that when the stone leaves the pouch, it's traveling at about 200 feet per second. Now, we've got some bow hunters here, right? Bows, crossbows, and, and bows 300, 350, something like that, feet per second. So you've got David running towards Goliath. He lets go 200 feet per second. It hits Goliath in the head with the speed of an arrow, a blunt arrow, Bam, down comes Goliath and just, and, and, and armor clanging, noise. I think there was a thud, you know, boom. People in, the, in their tents going, what was that? Yeah, he just falls. Now, if this were a movie and you're sitting in the movie theater, this is the point when there's not any sound on the screen because nobody saw that coming. And then if you're, in the, if you're actually in the battle, because this wasn't a movie, this was a real thing that happened, I think there was not a sound in the valley until the Philistines went, Oh, no! <laughs> and it says they, they abandoned their weapons and go running. Now, all of the Israelites been hiding. You see the enemy running like scared little girls. Ah! What does that do? The Israelites are like, Oh! And they go chasing after them. And the Bible says that the, the Philistine bodies were strewn across the pasture as far as the eye could see, all the way to the border. Now, I have a question. Who knew that was going to happen? God did. God knows everything. Sunday school answer. Yes. <laughs> Who else? David. And my question relates to David because David relates to me and you. How did he know? How could he, how was he different than all the other people? And, and I'm going to give you a simple answer, and then we're going to look at the deeper answer. The simple answer is that in all of his time watching sheep, David had gotten to know God. And because he was passionate about knowing God, God gave him something that I've called on your listening guide, or if you're on version, spiritual vision. God gave him the ability, spiritual vision is the ability to see the unseen. God gave him the ability to see the unseen. Spiritual vision is seeing the transparent 
through the apparent, or, or it could be seeing the transparent in spite of the apparent. Here are the obstacles. I can't tell you how many times in my life we've been praying and we said, God, there's the obstacle. I can even tell you, this is a very simple one, but one time years ago, we were going to have a disciple now at Southside Baptist, and, and we had all these youth, had all these people coming from all over to lead our youth, had about 100 teenagers signed up to come, and, and there was this huge storm. And, and I'm, I'm literally looking at the Weather Channel going, God, that's your problem. Because I got parents calling saying, we're not sending our kids. If it's raining, <laughs> really? Maybe tornadoes. Okay, so I'm looking at the radar, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I said to God, that's your problem. If you want us to have this weekend, God, you got to do something about that. He did. Had a great weekend. My grandmother, my dad's mom, there was a, some of you remember this, there was a huge tornado that hit uh, Wichita Falls back in the early 70s. I was a kid, so I don't remember exactly when it happened. But we couldn't get a hold of my grandmother for several days, so my older brother drove through. He was in um, Glen Rose at the time. He drives through and goes and finds grandma, gets through the barricades and finds grandma. Grandma's house is sitting there just perfect. All of the houses around her on her block are gone. You can't even tell what was there. And so he goes in and he says, Grandma, you're okay? And she goes, and see, my grandma, she, she was a Christian, but she, was, she had a rough life. She's she kind of full-blood Cherokee. She was mean when she was younger. She came to Christ, but here's, she comes to Christ. I didn't know this till her funeral. At her funeral, my brother's telling the story that, that grandma, he said, How, how's your house fine? And she said, well, I went out in the backyard and I said, God, there's a tornado. There's my house. This is a problem. If you want me to survive, you got to do something. If not, I'm ready to come home. And she said the tornado got up, came over, came down. And as a kid, I'm going, whoa. Now, I think grandma was fully prepared to meet Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? But she could see something and she said, God, this is your problem. I am, I'm nothing compared to you, but you've got all power. She could see the unseen. And God wants you to see it too. If you're a Christ follower, God wants you to see the unseen. But we're so worried about the apparent, the things that are right there in front of us, that we miss the transparent. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Then in verse 6 it says, without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is seeing the unseen. This is spiritual vision David had. And so David said, God, that dude's mocking you. And I want to do something about it. God said, let's go. Let's do something. Now, if you want to know the, the secrets of David's life, they're in, in 1 Samuel 17. We're going to pull out just a couple of them. We all have battles. We all have giant things that we've got to face. But here, this is big. This is big. Don't miss this. You are only as strong as what you see. If you see the obstacles, you'll be defeated. If you, see, if you try to go out in your power, you will lose. But if you are humble and you're near God... And you ask God to use you, God will, so that he gets the glory. Now, how did David see him? Well, just three things, very quickly. Spiritual vision, first, it takes root in private. It takes root in private. Um, the ability to see God really happens in obscure things away from the crowd. If you knew David, you knew that he spent a lot of time by himself. He was very intelligent, 
Um, some people have said that he had a military mind like Norman Schwarzkopf. You know, Norman Schwarzkopf helped lead the invasion of Iraq, and he's just written books, and he's just this genius. Well, a lot of people say David had that same type of military mind. In fact, a few years ago, I read that, that at one time, West Point, they studied the military strategies of King David. That's pretty impressive. So he had this military mind. He was a genius. He was a musical genius, wrote all kinds of psalms. He played, he sang. He was just unbelievably talented. And God had him in the middle of nowhere watching sheep. And that was the lowest job in society, watching sheep. Now, David could have whined, but he didn't. He could have said, God, I'm a man after your own heart. I'm, I'm, I've got these talents. I can think, I can sing, I can play. What are you doing having me out here? He didn't do that. Instead... He got to know God intimately. He spent his time in private, in the obscure, worshiping God, not just on Sundays. Worship was an everyday habit with him. And when the lion came to attack, he said, God, we got a problem. I'm going. God said, let's go. So he kills the lion where nobody is seeing except sheep. (laughs) They're not going to tell anybody. God saw, David saw. There was no applause Dallas Morning News didn't show up. ESPN didn't do a 30 for 30 on David's life. You killed a lion. Wow, how did you do that? No, it was just David and God. And then when when a bear came, same thing. God, there's a problem. Let's go, God. God says, let's go. The worshiper learns. The worshiper learns in real life experiences that with God, all things are possible. But you have to spend time worshiping to get this vision. You see, your your life is a test. God is testing you in private. And if you pass the test in private, then he will will promote your vision to a public setting. And, And here's why. A faith that has never been tested is a faith that can't be trusted. Our problem in the instant world, we want, we want instant everything. I want, my, I want my oatmeal right now. I want my, my meal right now. I want my marriage bliss right now. I want to be at the top of the, the, uh, the business world right now. I want the best house right now. I want the best car right now. I don't want to wait. I don't want to deal with Goliaths. I don't want to hang out on the mountainside in, in obscurity, God. I want stuff right now. It's all about me. Well, David didn't try to take a shortcut from the pasture to the palace. You and I do that. David allowed God to work in his timing, and David became the greatest king in the history of Israel. God, that's great, all that stuff, but I want it now. (laughs) Some of you are in an an obscure job now. It's not what you thought. And you say, I don't think God even knows where I am. I don't think God gives a flying flip about me. It's not true. Some of you are moms of, of toddlers, and you're thinking, I spend all of my time wiping snot and wiping butts. And nobody knows what I'm doing. That's not true. That's one of the most God-honoring jobs you have. Some of you are single and you're lonely and you're saying, God, I'm here. Bonfires, signs. If you are in an obscure place, if if you're in a place kind of where it's dull, I want to tell you God's got you right where he wants you because his vision begins in the obscure place. And if you'll be humble if you'll, if you'll listen to God and be faithful and understand it's by his grace, in his timing, he will give you a vision. And when he gives you a vision and you're faithful to it, he will bring you success by his grace. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew 25, 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. I want you to circle the words faithful with a few things. 
And I'm going to ask you, can, can that be said of your life? Are you faithful in little things in life? If not, why is God going to give you good things? God's weeding out the individuals who just want comfort or they want the easy road. Because those people don't listen. Those people are whiners. Those people are complainers. They're hard-headed. They're stubborn. And, and because they're whining and complaining, they're going to miss what God has already put in their lives. They're going to miss it. So if you're in an, in an obscure place, relax. So we talked about last week, relax. And, and know that God's going to show you something if you'll, if you'll wait on him. If he can trust you, he'll show you. Second thing is, spiritual vision and uncertainty are inseparable. If you're certain that you can handle something in your own power, then God's not necessary and God doesn't want to be involved in it. God wants to do God-sized things so that he gets the glory. Now, when you're driving at night, you turn on your headlights, and, and were your headlights designed to illuminate the entire city of Palestine? No. What do your headlights do? They, they go just, some of us, they're 10 feet. I had a car one time that, that I turned on the brights, and no one ever flicked for my brights to you know, be turned off because they couldn't tell, but that, that was pretty bad. But some of us have, you know, those xenon headlights. Even those aren't designed to go all that far. They're just designed to blind the people in the other lane. But, but you can see a little better. What do you do to get past the edge of where your lights can see? You keep going. It's the same way with God. God turns on the light and he says, I'm going to tell you this much. And he's going to give you just enough guidance to make it through today. He's not going to, at this service, he's not going to give you wisdom for tomorrow. He's going to give you wisdom for today. And if you follow that, then God illumines the next part of the path. But what he says is, don't you dare put it in neutral. Don't you coast. Don't you go off on side tangents. I am showing you the road, and I want to know if I can trust you. And if I can trust you in little things, I can trust you with big things. you got to trust God. you got to give it to him by faith. Now, do you think David knew when he was tending sheep that he would fight Goliath before crowds? I don't think he did. Do you think David knew that he would, he would play harp? Because he does. He plays the harp for Saul. And you'll have to read about that. It's pretty fascinating. Do you think that David knew that he would be best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan, the king's son? He didn't know that. Do you think he knew that, that he would hide from Saul because Saul would lose his mind and try to kill David because he was jealous of David? He didn't know that. David didn't know early on that he's going to be king of Israel. There was all kinds of uncertainty. And I want you to realize that, that spiritual vision and uncertainty, they're, they're linked all the time. New Life Community Church. Every major decision we've made in our church has been surrounded with uncertainty. We decided on a Tuesday night in, in 2002 that we were going to start this church, and we didn't have a place to meet. So we went and talked to a friend, and he had a building, and he said, you can meet there rent-free. How often does that happen? We met there for six months. Then the building sold. Uncertainty. Where do we go? We went to down here where Landmark School is. We actually met in there rent-free on one side, but we needed some place for our children. So we rented this little bitty uh, office. Used to be a sound booth thing in there, sound recording studio in there. We rented that for $250 a month, met there for a year. At the end of that time, we, needed, we were growing. We were too big for the computer shop and that shop, so we went down to what we call the old building. That was the old First Baptist building downtown. And we met in the back because we weren't big enough to go in the worship center. And, and we said, where are we going to put the kids? So we put the kids on the first and the second floor. That meant we were on the third floor, and we're like, will anybody find us? If anybody finds us, will they climb the stairs? There's all kinds of uncertainty. We had no money, and we needed to renovate. How do we renovate? All kinds of uncertainty. But we prayed, and we believed that we were supposed to go, and God provided and then that building sold, and we thought, oh, no, we got to get out of here because the new landlord came in. We had some conflict with him, and we're like, we got to go. So where do we go? We had all kinds of uncertainty. We drove around. I literally drove around Palestine. Every building I saw that might possibly house a church, I'd say, God, what about that one? And every building, there was something wrong. 
until this building came available. And long story short, uh, there were back taxes owed on this building, and, and you know we got this building and the house next door for uh, $150,000, and then this building was in bad shape, and we had to renovate and took about $100,000. So $250,000, we renovate this, and, and it's what you see today. And uh, here we are, a church, you know, little church, not a lot of money, and, and we go into debt, and, and we do all this stuff. Well, we had this thing called Building a Great Life, and you, you, you've heard about the Building a Great Life auction. So we had this thing, and, and in the midst of all this, the land, the two acres over here on the other side of the house came for sale. And so uh, we started praying. We think, God wants us to buy that. Well, we didn't have any cash. We, we were in debt for this. So what we decided, we did this eight-week series, Building a Great Life, and at the end of that, we were going to have a one-day offering, and then we were going to ask people to give for three years over and above their tithe to pay off our debt. And, and so what somebody did was they said, well, let's go ahead and buy the land. And I'm like, with what? And they said, we'll loan you the money interest-free and you can just pay it back. And when you have your big one-day offering, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how much you get. So we would go through the whole thing. We buy the land and then we said, we still got to pay this off. So we, we do the whole thing. One day we had people come down and do their commitment cards down here. Raise $42,000 in one day. People just coming and, and giving. Well, that happened to be the last day of the building a great life. And the individual who loaned us the money interest-free was sitting over there, came up to me after the service, and he said, God convicted me that the loan I gave you, that's my contribution. So total over $80,000 in one day, $87,000 in one day we raised. And then, and then people, here's what, here's what was funny. People were going, Doug has lost his ever-loving mind. Has he seen us? Because we were a young congregation. We're still a young congregation. We don't have money. And, and people said, people, a few people said to my face, most people whispered. And I'd walk up and they wouldn't talk anymore, you know. And, and I knew, I knew what was going on. And then here's, here's the crazy thing. It was a little over three years, about four years, God paid off this building. And, and so we're debt free now. And, uh, and when God paid it off, who got the glory? It wasn't me. It was God. And so... We, we were debt-free, and then last year we needed a building, we needed a room for our teenagers. We had, we had about $20,000 in the bank, and it was going to cost over $30,000 to build that extension out there. We felt like we were supposed to do it. So we started building before we ever had the money. And, and God paid it off. Who got the glory? God did. And now we're at this point where we, we think we need to, to put some concrete out here. And you know what people are saying? They don't think I know. They don't think I know. But really, there's people going, Doug has lost his ever-loving mind. Why is he wanting to put the parking lot out there when we've got this, 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 and this? And, and I'll just tell you why. We have prayed about this, and we believe this is where God's taking us next. And there's all kinds of uncertainty. And if anybody in this church says, I knew this was going to happen ahead of time, they're a liar. Just smack them in the name of Jesus. <laughs> tell them I said you could do it, because they're lying. The, my favorite pastors that I listen to say, you're only about 70% sure on the most sure thing you ever do. Because if you're 100% sure, you don't need God, which means there's no faith involved. So there's uncertainty all the time. And, and so I don't know exactly what's going to happen with this auction. We're just going to give it a try. And, and if, if God shows, because we can't do this in our power. Phase one is $72,000. Covered parking out here and, and concrete that goes over to the house and up and through the front of the building. That's phase one. That's half of what we want to do. And a 30 by 30 covered drop-off. We've wanted to drop-off forever. If, it's ever, if you've ever, ever been here when it rains, you know that, oh, man, it'd be nice to have a covered drop-off. Plus, if 
it rains, I can park my motorcycle under there. I mean, this is just has to be of God. Okay, okay, okay. Now, uncertainty and vision, they're always linked together, and, and God has you there. And he's going to tell you through his word, through prayer, through, through teaching. He's probably not going to tell you his vision through Facebook. I'm just saying. Some of the trash y'all throw out there, I'm just like, wow. And then, then you know, well, well, that's another one. That's for another day. Now, real quickly, let me, let me finish this up because I've got to fly right quick. When God gives you a vision, you've got to watch out for vision vandals. Every time you have a vision, you're going to have a vision vandal. Did David have a vision vandal? Yep, his older brother. First uh, Samuel seventeen twenty eight. this is from the Living Bible. When David's bro- oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking like that, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about the sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know what a cocky brat you are. You just want to see the battle. There's that older brother again. Vision vandals come up and they say, you can't do that. Don't do that. You'll, be, you'll look like a fool. Vision vandals will say to you, don't stay in your marriage. You need to get out. You need to do to him or her what they're doing to you. Vision vandals say, don't you dare tell anybody about your addiction. You need to stay over with, here with us. We're your friends because we do it with you. Those are vision vandals. You've got to watch out for them. They are everywhere. Vision vandals say, don't try to raise money. Don't try to do anything for the church. Don't do anything that might upset somebody. That's a vision vandal, and they're everywhere. Now, when Eliab said this to David, what did he do? He talked to somebody else. See, I think he knew this, what Jesus would have said. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Vision vandals come to steal your vision. They come to destroy your vision. They come to kill your vision. And so what David did is he didn't talk to his brother, the vision vandal. He turned and talked to somebody else, and that's really good counsel. Don't spend your time talking a lot with vision vandals, trying to convince them that your vision is from God, because vision vandals don't have their eyes on God. They've got their eyes on the other option. Don't tell them they're demonic and satanic. You don't have to call them that. But there's really two spirits. There's a holy spirit and there's an unholy spirit. You're following one or the other. And, and every time you think you've heard a word from God, somebody could say, oh, well, you're, you're, you're presuming upon God. What do you think faith is? Now, I'm not saying we go out and we find 300 acres of land, prime land. Actually, that, that acreage as you're going out of Frankston, right before you get to the first bridge there on Lake Palestine over there that's been for sale. I'm not saying that we should say, oh, let's name that land and claim it because God wants us to have it. God wants us to be right here. And so you, when you feel like God's telling you to do something, you've got to trust God. Eliabs are not going to change. Trust them to God. Turn and talk to somebody else. Now, those with great spiritual vision, they recognize their resources. Where God guides you, God will provide as well. 1 Samuel 17, 38 and 39. Then Saul gave David his armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on. I can hardly move, he exclaimed. Then he took him off. Now, those with great spiritual vision are also great eliminators. David took the stuff off because it wasn't God's idea. Man said, you need physical armor. David knew he needed spiritual armor, and there's a huge difference. Spiritual vision is not measured just by what you do. It's also measured by what you don't do. It's not measured just by who you hang out with, but it's also measured by who you don't hang out with. If you're not regularly eliminating things from your life, it'll be too cluttered when God wants you to ask, or when God asks you to do something. And and so David said, I can't live like that. And what you say to a vision vandal or to somebody is you just say, that's not who I am. I'm going to trust God. Now, we get rid of some things, but we also put on some things. 
Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the full armor of God so that you can fight against the devil's evil schemes. Now, God doesn't dress us. We're big boys and big girls. We're supposed to clothe ourselves. Now, how many married men are in the room? Let me see your hand real quick. Uh, before you got married, you used to dress yourself and you thought you were slick and you'd put your stuff on. You'd look in the mirror back when I had hair, dude, I got to show you some pictures. My brothers and I went through my parents' pictures yesterday and there's some stuff I'm, I'm wearing from the seventies and eighties that, oh my gosh. And, and it's just bad. It's bad. I'll have to show you that. But, but we used to think we were styling and then we got married and one day our wives came in and said, you're going to wear that. And, and they didn't say it, but they meant you're fashion retarded. Right. And so they laid out what was acceptable. And so you got married and and then one day you find yourself sitting on the edge of your bed and you're sitting there in your underwear and you look over at your son and you say, son, today we're going to look good because mommy's going to dress us, right? That's, 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 okay. God doesn't dress you as a Christ follower. You're supposed to put on the full armor of God yourself. You're supposed to do it every day. Put on the vision and in God's power, carry it out. Now, the last thing is spiritual vision is contagious, uh, it's kind of like the flu, but in a good way. First Samuel seventeen fifty two says, The men of Israel and Judah shouted and chased the Philistines all the way to the entrance of the city of Gath and the gates of Ekron. Now, before David got there, there was no shouting. There was lots of whispering. I can't believe this. Who's going to go? What are we going to do? We're going to die. David comes, goes out, and kills the Philistine. And then what do the, what do the men of Israel do? <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Chandler. He's about the age David would have been. Yeah, thank you, Chandler. God gives a vision. God gives a victory. And, and when, when people are in tune with God, here's the cool thing. If I'm hearing from God, he's not just going to tell me. God speaks through the Holy Spirit to his body. And he will confirm things through other believers. I, I, in, in our the way we believe scripture reads, I have no greater standing before God than any other Christ follower. I have a little different role because God's put me up here as a teacher. But you have just as much access to God the Father. And he will speak to you. And sometimes we need to hear from you what God is saying because we can't possibly know everything that God's telling our church to do. And we're missing out on a great deal of what our church is supposed to do. If you're not worshiping, if you don't have a heart like David. That's why I keep hammering this. You are responsible for your relationship with Christ. So I want you to bow your heads. Got to finish up because Miss Janie will be coming in here and smacking me in a minute. David said, to God, Goliath is like an ant. And some of you need to look at God and not at your problems. Father, it's my prayer that whatever our situations are that we think are too big for you, that we stop looking at that and we look at you instead. And we re- remember, God, that you, you're not just preparing us for this life, you're preparing us for eternity. Help us to have a bigger pr- perspective in Jesus' name. Amen.